Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ask the Amigos. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And we're answering your questions. Yeah. And by your questions, I mean the Discord's questions. Everybody that supports a show on the Amigos Retro Gaming Network uh, is uh, gets an invite to our Discord. And uh, you can post questions on the Ask the Amigos channel for us to answer. We are going to kick things off with Lob Sterminator, Finland's Finest. He says... What were your first LP album, CD, VHS, and DVD? Go for it, Aaron. My first LP would have probably been... Uh, I'm assuming it's the first one I own, not that I bought. Because the first right. LP I didn't buy myself. Right. Uh, probably, I used to have this... Uh, well, I mean, musically, I guarantee it was this KTEL number that had all the hits of like the... Of like the uh, late 70s on it, you know, mm -hmm. disco, K-Tail disco hits. Right. And then my, my, uh, also I had like a Mother Goose LP. Also I had a Disney Haunted House one. So it'd be one of those three. I had that too. Man, that's I a scary. Actually, I had, How did you I had listen that one. To that? I also had a Flintstones Haunted House that was I, I found to be terrifying. But this Disney one was super scary. I, yeah. mean, I don't know how you could have heard that one. No. And, and then my first cassette, I know that, it was Duran Duran's Arena. I bought hmm. it's the first cassette I ever bought. Uh, the uh, first VHS tape I ever owned. God, that was <laughs> well, it was blank. I can tell you that because I was recording on it. I didn't buy that many VHS tapes, uh, but I'm gonna pick one at random that I bought that I paid real money for, and I'm gonna go with Jim Cotta. Uh, uh, love. Is Jim that Machete's first film? No. Oh, God, this is way before Jim Cotta. You never heard of that, Jim Cotta? No. Holy crap! But it's the is he related the ultimate... to Mr. Cotta? Listen, what happens if you take a gymnast? Okay, think about it. Think about a okay. gold medal gymnast, mm -hmm. and then you teach him the deadly arts. Mm. What do you get? You get Jim you get somebody that's Kata. awesome. You yeah. got that right, buddy. It's a great movie. Now, I'll, it sort of gets it sort of gets hassled, but it stars Kurt Thomas, the gymnast, and he, it's awesome. It's awesomely bad. Um, my first DVD. Uh, boy, again, I was sort of such a pirate. That I didn't buy, probably, uh, you know, I, I'm not 100% sure, uh, probably a wrestling one, I'll be honest with you. Uh, did I catch all those? Is that everything? First CD? Yeah, that's, oh, uh, oh I, yeah, you said Durand, oh no, you didn't, you didn't cover CD, sorry, go ahead. Uh, first CD would have been, um, uh, again, I copied most of my CDs, but I did have one of those CD clubs. So right, probably Columbia House. I'm going to go with Indigo Girls Back on the Bus, y'all. Was a two CD compilation of their live performances. I love them, so I'm mm. not sure that's my first one, but I've ordered a bunch at once, and so that's the one mm. that pops in my mind. What about you? Uh, my first LP. I mean, LPs. By the time that I was of the age that I was buying stuff, LPs had already been phased out. They hadn't come to their second coming as they have right now. But I did have some LPs that just were sort of around that my mom, I think, bought at a, at, at a yard sale. Yeah, I remember the the Mickey Mouse Club soundtrack. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, with with songs from the original Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. I also remember the Batman uh, soundtrack by uh, I think uh, Neil Hefty was you the mean guy that from the that, film. From no, from the uh, from the TV show. Oh, it had a soundtrack. No kidding. Well, it, it wasn't a. It was basically it was songs from the show yeah. with like you know they they did this with a lot of stuff. You'd you'd have a song and then there'd be a little dialogue snippet from Batman and Robin. Yeah. Um. Uh, I thought that was really cool. You know, the old Adam West. Um. Batman. My first cassette was the Beach Boys still cruising. That way that was when they had their their renaissance when they, they had some songs that appeared in the film Cocktail. 
Oh, um, yeah. and, and they, they put out a, a an album based, you know, sort of riding on that CD. The first CD I ever bought was the Chipmunks Greatest Hits. No surprise there. Uh, I remember that very well. Uh, now, with VHS and DVD, I honestly couldn't tell yeah, you. It's tough I, to remember. You know, I'm that, not a big a movie tough. guy. Yeah. When I buy CDs, I tend to remember because they're a big part of my life. I'm just not a big movie guy. They, Do you remember the last CD you bought? Yeah, I remember XTC, that one. XTC Skylarking. I bought it about three years ago because I, I couldn't the, get it anywhere else. The last CD I bought was the soundtrack to Titanic. Oh, so it's been a while for you. <laughs> I like that. And by the way, for albums, I forgot another one I had real early on. It could have been first was the two album Grease soundtrack from the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, that was mm-hmm. that was an awesome soundtrack too. I love that. So yeah, yeah I'll throw that one in there. Good stuff. That and, was pretty good. DVD, you got nothing on that one. Yeah, I, I mean, I know. Actually, no, I take it back. I take it back. I do remember the first DVD I ever bought because I bought it before I had a DVD player. Yeah. I knew that I was going to get a PS2 uh, when it when it came out. And so yeah. I preemptively bought Brighton Beach Memoirs on DVD because oh, I love that movie. Too. The, the yeah. film with uh, uh, that had uh, what's his dude at Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love that movie. Eugene Morstrom. Yeah, it's a great. Neil I like Simon. all the stuff from Neil Simon. The movies. I like. I like. I listen. I'm a big fan of that stuff. So good. Yeah, his his Who plays knew? are great. Yeah, very good, but very good. All right, Benny Cake asks. <laughs> apparently, President Trump had a red button on his desk that, when pushed, an attendant would immediately deliver a diet coke. If you had a red button, what would be delivered to you? Hmm. That's a good angle. Why don't you, why don't you start that one, Boat? I'd go with the uh, the orange chicken special from Taste of Asia. Hmm. That's probably pretty good eating. They've got yeah. good food over there. Yeah. But, I mean, how many times are you going to... I mean, I, I, when I think red button on the desk, you're going to push that whenever you want something. You're going to want it over and over. Right? Yeah. I mean, how many times are you going to eat that in a day? Four, well, maybe probably five. not more than once a day, but I'd love yeah. to have it on demand whenever I wanted it. I'm going to go, I think, now listen, I'm not the biggest supporter of the Trumpster, but I think he was close on this. Uh, but I would have, and of course, when you've got, the, when you're the president, you've got a certain amount of jack. Yeah, you know a certain amount. You've got and, ultimate power. And I've I've ran into a problem here recently because they've stopped making my citrus diet, citrus drop extreme. So if I had the have big they, red they, button, do they uh, still have the 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 non-extreme version? It, who who cares? Mm, yeah, <laughs> Listen, good point. When you've had extreme, how do you go back to non-extreme? Not yeah. you're not gonna do it. Yeah. So if I had the big red button, I would have a a, a hot sexy bride would deliver me on a silver tray a one one six pack because I drank them like that of diet. Mm-hmm. Citrus Drop Extreme. That's what mm-hmm. I. That's the way I do it. What is, I mean, I, you know, when I, I was at, when, I, when I was in college and I was at the peak of my soda drinking, and this was not diet soda either. This was the real deal. I would I would chug two and crack a third as soon as I'd walk into the dorm room. I mean, I was I was insane. What What would you say your your weekly consumption of diet Citrus Drop Extreme was before they took it off the shelves? I didn't do that. I've seen people do that with Red Bull and stuff, and every time I see a, it's usually students. Every time I see them do that, I want to take one of the Red Bulls, like a full can, and just beat them in the face until they fall <laughs> over. Because that's so stupid. I've also seen these suckers that like take a Red Bull and they take a bunch of mini thins and stuff. What? Who are you impressing, pal? You well, know, you remember these are college students. They no, do dumb punks. stuff twenty four seven. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll go day to day with any of these suckers. Anyway, uh, uh, I, my daily consumption, I'd probably have a, I'd probably drink, I don't know. Six a day, something Six like a day. that. That's not that mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, that's so like a case a case a week, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. I'd say I would yeah. usually do her. Yeah. All right. Crazy Loomis asks: 
If you could have any superpower, what would you choose and why? I think we've had this one before, and I, mm. I probably won't even give the same answer. I think I, I would like to have immortality as my superpower, but I think I said that the first time. But uh, if I could have two superpowers, two, I would also like to have the ability to fly a boat. I think that'd be cool, you know? Yeah. Yeah, flight is definitely up there for me, although I think my superpower would be the Jedi mind trick. Where you could just be, these are not, you know, you will give me a million dollars. You're going to choke boom. a sucker if they don't, if you don't like what they're saying? That's, be, yeah, that's part of if it. If you had the Jedi mind trick, I'd be dead a million times. No, no. I'd elevate you to the highest heights. What would be funnier is if your wife had the Jedi mind trick. Now that she already I could endorse. Does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's got the Jedi wife <laughs> trick. Do what I say. That's A lot of wives have that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, like, I like that line there. <laughs> Good stuff. Chris Folds asks, who would win if they both were in their prime? Oh, this is a great question. Hulk Hogan or The Rock? That would be the ultimate showdown. They fought. They fought they at really? WrestleMania. It no, was no, awesome. About in the all-time great matches. So Hulk Hogan in, say, like 1982 or something like that. Do you that. mean like a fixed fight or an actual fight? Well, come on. we're talking about professional wrestling. What do you think? Well, let's we'll, we'll predict both. Okay. Okay. And, and, and Hulk in his prime versus Rock in his prime. Hulk was a much bigger star than The Rock as a wrestler, not as an actor. Uh, so so they put him over. over Hulk the Rock. would win it, uh, uh, in a in a wrestling match. Oh yeah, you got to put Hulk over. But was the Rock was the Rock was he a face? I don't know anything about both. that whole. He era. was both. Okay. Uh, on the other hand, if they had an actual fight, The Rock would tear him up. And the reason I say that is, The Rock was a known fighting machine he was a he was a street fighting type from back in school really yeah he's wow. a big burly football player of death hulk hogan is six uh a six nine rock's probably about six five something like that so that hulk would be bigger and probably stronger but rock i think and also just from rock's heritage those guys are all tough so i, I don't like hulk's chances so yeah. and hulk when hulk broke into wrestling he trained with a guy named Hiro Matsuda, and the first thing Hiro Matsuda did was break Hulk's arm in practice. Oh, my gosh. Just because he could. And so Hulk learned a very valuable lesson, so I don't think Hulk would take on the challenge of The Rock. That could be a big mistake. But in a wrestling match, I'd pick Hulk. Batman asks, having played on all these systems in descending order, how would you place these five systems? Okay, so you're going to rank these uh, from, from worst to best. Okay? Yep. Amstrad... Specky, C64, BBC Micro, MSX. Oh, boy. These are not necessarily in our wheelhouse, boat. No. Uh, so, and there's no way you can get away without get. So, are we ranking... You're going to make people mad no matter what, what you was say. The, what was the criteria based on what? My, how much Nothing. I liked them? Just what you think, yeah. I'm going to base them on their perceived power, okay? Okay. At the bottom, I'd say the BBC, okay? Okay. Then the Spectrum... Uh, then I would put the uh, C64, the MSX, and I'd put the Amstrad. I think that's the way I would rank them from least powerful to most powerful. In terms of how much fun they were, I haven't played enough, enough MSX to know. Mm -hmm. I'd say the C64 and the ZX are on an equal footing in terms of their fun potential. Uh, uh, I think uh, uh, I haven't played enough BBC Micro. I mean, I've liked what I've played on it, but I haven't played a ton. But I wouldn't put. I don't think it's in the same ballpark as the uh, the C sixty four, the MSX, and the uh, uh, ZX. So I'd put that near the bottom. And the poor Amstrad, 
for a system that had the jack, no one did anything with it hardly. So I would put it down near the bottom too, just because they got screwed. If you're an Amstrad yeah. owner, you got sort of got screwed. What about you? How would you how would you do it? I think I think my list is going to be similar to yours, although I, I've already forgotten it. Uh, the uh, I I put BBC Micro at the, at the bottom, and then the the ZX Spectrum next, then the Amstrad, then the C64, and the MSX. The C64 and MSX are clear winners just because of the amount of software available for them. Uh, the MSX edges out the C64 in my mind just because of all of the Japanese development on the platform. Yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of great stuff on there that I haven't discovered yet. But the C64, I mean, you can't not pick it because there's like 100 billion games available for it. So yeah. it, it, it's up there just on the strength of the library alone. You know, um, what makes me, what gives me pause when I pick these is that is when they did Pinball Dreams on the Amstrad, it was top shelf. Like that blew mm-hmm. me away, okay? Right. And then when they did uh, Super Mario Brothers on the C64, like that's another yeah. one. I was just like, crap. Right. That's, that's great. So clearly, those are two systems where the potential, especially the Amstrad, was never even—I don't think it was probably even approached. Yeah. The BBC, I just—that's one that's sort of an uh, uh, unknown commodity. I just haven't played with enough to, to say if I think it would be in the same ballpark. Of course, I've played plenty of Spectrum. I think all those machines have uh, a lot to offer. You know, both. Mm-hmm. So there Absolutely, you go. I agree. That's my out. Christian, <laughs> Christian Russell asks, "You're on the darn desert island again." but you've been left with a pretty sweet home cinema setup. You can only take films of two directors, and it's from this list. Ridley Scott, Martin Scorsese, Stanley Kubrick, Robert Zemeckis, James Cameron, and the Coen brothers. Pick okay. two. Coen brothers and uh, probably, uh, you know, I, what, uh, Woody Allen's not on the list, but he would have been no. on my list. Uh, but uh, I would put it would definitely be the Coens, and it would be uh, probably Martin Scorsese. I don't know okay. about you. I I, I definitely go Coen Brothers. I yeah. might go. Hmm, that second one Robert is Robert Zemeckis. He did like Back to the Future, I believe, didn't he? What that him? I don't know. I I don't know who he is, obviously, because I can't even pronounce his name. Um, but definitely the Coen Brothers. I'm leaning towards Scorsese just because uh, you know there are so many so many classic films, but I just have to be able to fast forward through all of the violent scenes, which is like yeah. a lot of his That's, movies. Yeah. So I'm looking at Zemeckis. He might be your choice. He did he did mm. he did some good stuff. He did Romancing the Stone, which is good. He did Forrest Gump, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Back to the Future. Oh features. yeah, okay, Zemeckis definitely. Uh, I mean, did, for me, it, it for me it would be the Coen Brothers and Steven Spielberg. Yeah, the, the, but the the, the uh, Polar Express is one of his. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like Polar Express too. Yeah, yeah, uh, that, that 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 thing sort of gets ragged on now, but I mean that, that was that's I, crazy. I saw that that's a great movie. I saw it. I was like, man, look at that. Look at this. Yeah. Any of those movies that have all set up, all, all the uh, art was computerized, they're boned. Mm-hmm. You know, they're yeah. going to get hosed. You know. But right, yeah, right. I agree with you. And I, I also, if yeah, if if uh, if Spielberg was available, I would I would bump Scorsese to heartbeat and, mm-hmm. and, and put him on there. Yeah. Chris Folds asks, "What reality TV show would you like to go on the most?" You mean I would get to be on the show? Yeah. Uh, I would say, uh, uh, the, let's see here, The Bachelor. I would be yeah. The Bachelor. Yeah. There, there is no other possible. That would be one hell of a season. Question. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, and the thing is, listen, I know, I, I know my station. Okay. And so I'm gonna make these uh, dippy broad models that they get on there. I'm gonna make them do it the the Aaron way, right? 
When what they get up to, they're going to be able to rank the top five British uh, PCs, right? <laughs> they're going to be doing that crap. I'm going to so make them you, earn it. When you when you go into the love tent with one of these broads, yeah. it's going to be, hey, you know, this is what we're doing in the love tent tonight. We're going to play some BBC micro games. I'm going to be like, listen, I want to hear the complete verbatim backstory to Lionheart. There, chicky. Listen, Read to me from the model. I demand the, satisfaction for this. So yeah. I guarantee it'd be like no, it'd be like no episode, no season of The Bachelor ever if you had me on there. What about you? Yeah. Oh yeah, it would definitely be. I mean, obviously, of course, you know, not being a bachelor anymore would disqualify me. But I didn't you know, think of my, that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, works. But uh, yeah, I mean, now in my current married state, where I wouldn't be able to go on The Bachelor, I'd love to be on Shark Tank. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to be, I think it would be cool not to be one of the persons that's pitching, but one of the person that, that, that listens and, and, and says yes or no. I think that would be fun. Uh, but if I was if I was single and looking to mingle, you can't go wrong with The Bachelor. I'd like to be on Shark Tank and have, have the chud on there, and he's all he's oh my is gosh. pitching tech liquor. That's all he's yes. got, and he gets that that's, over. That's what I want to see. <laughs> tech yeah, liquor yeah. for the win. <laughs> okay, Chris also asks, what other hobbies have you had in your adult life? This is in your adult life, mind you, when that, that are start? not computer-based. Well, of course, uh, role-playing games. Uh, mm-hmm. I like old-time radio. I, I'm into that heavily. Of course, pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. But I, I, adult life, see, that's the, the I've been into that stuff since I was a kid. So I'm trying to think of what I do now. That have I didn't have do. you started up anything since you were, say, 25 that you didn't do when you were a kid? Nope. I mean, well, yeah, I, 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 I've gotten into like foreign computers. Well, hey, that's computer the, based. The, the gamate does that count? <laughs> that, that are not computer based. No. <laughs> so it's okay to say no. You no. haven't had any. No. I am in a permanent rut. I guess. What about you? You've got uh, well, you've got a whole you've got hundreds that I've you've got gotten into just yeah, just you I, didn't you know, fulfill them. <laughs> most famous that you're constantly on me about is my whole sailing phase <laughs> when I when I took all the sailing classes and became certified and won all those competitions yeah. and then sort of dropped it like a bad habit. Um, but uh, but now I mean now definitely martial arts is is my biggest non computer habit. I mean I'm at the dojo three or four nights a week, so that's There's, that's probably there it for was me. sale. It's funny I was listening to one of the uh, soon to be released. Uh, oh yeah, and 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 uh, and whiskey distilling of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and doing I you know I just thought of one boat that I didn't do when I was a kid. Make a bunch of shows. So there you go. And video Podcasting. editing. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, I was listening to one of our soon-to-be-released Amigos pre-shows, and you're talking about how you're getting into the uh, VR. That you're. Getting... <laughs> I thought to myself, well, that didn't last long. So that's another one you got rid of. The, the coin collecting, the precious metals, oh, yeah. the, the cryptocurrency. Yep, the... yep. yep. <laughs> you, you collected albums? What about that? You got yeah, be, stereo you're, you're equipment? You're right on all counts, man. Listen, <laughs> you know me. You know me. I'm in oh, something. Man. You know, my favorite thing is like, you know, it's 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 like I'm I'm like the chud, you know. I'm into something, and then when I'm out, I'm out. I burn it down. Listen, so. it, don't don't hork his tech liquor scam. You get that's his. <laughs> that's I don't his. want to go to your house and see you licking a bunch of tech over there. Christian Russell asks, "What game arrived with little or no fanfare, but totally blew you away?" Go ahead, boat. Katamari freaking Damacy. That game came out of nowhere, and I never played anything like it before, and it blew me away. I'd never played a game that was so, like, the concept is so wacky, 
and the music was blank. so the music was so uh, well suited to the game. I'm a big music guy, obviously, and the the backstory was so insane. I couldn't believe that this thing got made and was published. Because remember, I don't come from a computer background where you can publish anything you want at any time. You know, console games, there's there's a little bit of a bar where things don't get too off the rails. This was the first game where I was like, I cannot believe that somebody gave this the the, the get-go to, uh, you know, the, the high sign to publish this thing. So that's for me. What about you, Aaron? Um, no, not top banana, Graham. Um, I would say, hey, listen... Wii Sports blew me away when I first played uh, yeah. that. Where the heck did that come that. from? Because I heard this new console. Listen, everything Nintendo said about their new console sounded like the stupidest crap I'd ever heard. It's not powerful. It still uses discs. It's going to have remote control motion. I was like, what in God's name were these idiots doing? They were coming off the GameCube, which is sort of a dud. And here they come with this thing, and I, the first time I played it, I'm like, bing, winner, right here. This is mm-hmm. your winner. That was awesome. And it was, I mean, yeah. it took me totally by surprise. So I'm going to go with that one. That's a great answer. Mm. Okay, on the other side of the coin, what, excuse me, what game was hyped up the yin-yang but was a total disappointment? First of all, let's all take a moment to realize that Christian Russell is 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 taken an Aaron phrase and has brought it across the pond to England. So bravo to you, Christian. Now, Aaron, answer the question. Rise of the Robots, bam, full stop. Yeah. They pushed that and pushed it, and I was reading all the magazines. I was reading all the crap where they said the AI is like they would kill the Street Fighter AI. It was such a bad thing. And it I would played that better. game. I could not the believe The AI would horrible. improve as you improved, all that stuff. The Brian I, May soundtrack. Listen, the hype worked. I bought the game. And you know me, I don't buy Jack Squat. But I knew a game of that quality and power, you couldn't pirate that. You had to buy that game, and then I took a I took a bath on that one. Yeah, that thing stunk. Um, for me, it's the you know again I didn't grow up in the the PC zone for so for me it was the Virtual Boy. Nintendo spent years hyping up the Virtual Boy. Maybe not years, but it seemed like say, really years. did they do that? The, and when the Virtual Boy came out, it was all over the magazine. You know, Nintendo Power had arrived in my mailbox every month. And it was it was like this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And then three months later, Nintendo wouldn't even admit it existed. So uh, that's that was probably that was probably the Virtual Boy probably for me. Um, to be honest with you, most of the games that I actually shelled out money for, uh, I I was not really disappointed in. Uh, most you know I guess I've been lucky, but I, I there hasn't been a Rise of the Robots type situation where I bought a game thinking it was going to be one thing and turned out to be another. I guess it's because I'm so much younger than you, and you know I uh, when no, I bought it, not game, that much younger. That's not go yeah. crazy. There's tons of games I regret buying. I mean, I can list them off. FX Fighter. I was desperate for, like, arcade action. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I, I like, think the, the problem is, is that you were just desperate for a good fighting game on the PC, and none yeah. ever appeared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, almost every game I ever bought that was a fighting game was was almost always crap. Even Pray for Death. Which Didn't you buy Armageddon, too? What's that? Didn't you buy Armageddon, I bought too? Armageddon, and I didn't yeah. like it. I bought yeah. Flashback, and I sucked at that. I'm not saying it's a bad game. I was just no good at it, you know. So. I, I think part of the reason why I didn't get burned is because there was, you know, in the in the console world, you you could always rent stuff before you bought it, so you had a chance to try it out. Versus with the PC world, unless you were involved in nefarious means, uh, you, you didn't have a chance to try that stuff out. Well, the funny thing with Amiga stuff, there was so little coverage of it that I had no mm-hmm. basis 
yeah, for non-con. what I was buying. <laughs> it's just like go to the store. It's like, well, they've got six games. I'll pick game four. And then game four <laughs> was either bad or good. So there you go. David Z asks, Z. Now, now that you both have your A1000s working, what is the next mod or upgrade for it? Oh, ask that next month, David Z. <laughs> hmm. Okay, so we'll table that question for this month. Ask it again next month, David. Mm-hmm. HSI asks, do you think that the advent of certain graphical techniques and hardware advances coming too fast have had the side effect of those techniques not being explored enough, or do you think it's the artistry of graphics is best served that the tech is always moving forward? Who asked this? This is HSI. Okay. Wow. Well he gives said, an example. Okay. He says, using Superscaler for an RPG adventure type game instead of just the couple of years it was in the arcade for driving and shooting games. So let's take that. So you're, you're aware of the Superscaler effects. These are games like Afterburner and uh, the other one where you're the dude that's on, with the jetpack. I can't think of what that's called. Um, what's the name of that game? The Sega arcade game that is from the Afterburner perspective except you're a guy that can fly and you're shooting stuff. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. All right. Somebody in the chat will fill us in. Anyway, um, are there any graphical styles based entirely on underlying tech you'd enjoy seeing explored more? Space Harrier is what you're talking about? Space Harrier. Thank you. I never compared that to Afterburn. I never They're based on the me. same engine. No kidding. Um, well, from what the way I read that is he asking, do, do I think that, that the graphical uh, hardware was, was exploited to its fullest? No. In fact, I don't think it I think it hardly ever is. In fact, I don't think it is years after the system has tanked. You know, I think like uh, uh, a prime example, that's what we were talking about earlier with the uh, with C64 uh, releasing Mario and this sort of thing. Uh, I never think it's... They, they're always in such a hurry to get to the next level of technology that they don't really exploit the previous generation to its fullest. Uh, in terms of a technique that I think that they uh, jumped the gun on, I guess that's part of it. Do you have a thought on that? Well, you know, everybody was always in a rush to get a 3D. You know, then that's yeah. what the superscalar thing was. So it's like, let's try and get something in the arcades that simulates 3D. And so I can understand why they moved on when they were actually able to do, you know, flat shaded polygons and games like virtual racing or virtual fighter or stuff like that. So I understand why they moved on. I th- do think it is cool when games go back and they use an old style of graphic rendering, you know, in a new game, uh, just like Octopath Traveler on the Switch. It's a JRPG that looks like uh, Final Fantasy VI or Final Fantasy III for the Super Nintendo, except it's more 3D. They do weird things with the perspective to make it look cooler. So, absolutely, I think every graphical style from the past, you can bring it back and, and put a twist on it and make it look cool. Just like um, when they re-released the uh, Link's Awakening for the Switch, I don't know if you saw that, but they use like a weird like 3D rendering of everything, and it makes it look like a living diorama. Like you actually can go inside of it. Remember that that Zelda ripoff game that was called a it was like 8-bit hero or 16-bit hero or something like that. That was all pixels. Like when you beat an enemy, it exploded into pixels. Do you remember that at I've all? I've seen games that do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I think every graphical style from the past. You can bring it back and make it look cool, but, I mean, that's the nature of the industry. The industry is always moving forward, and they're, they're not going to wait around to fully explore something. If there's something that they know is the next big thing and will sell some units, they're going to go to it. The one thing that comes to mind for me where I thought they, it came out, there were too many people doing it, and I didn't necessarily think 
It worked for every game. Would have been something like the old cell shading technique from a uh, remember that was uh, everybody was doing that, Jack, that for Jack like Frank a couple Radio. years they beat yeah. that to death it uh-huh. worked great for some games don't get me wrong but there I, some stuff i didn't think it looked that good and also ultimately you don't see it i don't think you see that technique used as much now as you but i mean it's still available graphics you know it's one of those things i don't really pay i know no one's gonna believe this but i don't pay a ton of attention to them you know in this show i mean yogi bear we just covered a perfect example Here's a game that is a flat two-color game. All yellow with some red stuck in there. But they did a good job rendering Yogi. And so I will give them more points for rendering Yogi than I might give a game on the N64 that looks like crap but is far more advanced because I'm going to give them their, I'm going to give them the credit for trying to do their best with what they had to play with. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I so that makes it gives me a different perspective when it comes to looking at graphics. I mean, clearly the N64 is graphically superior to the ZX Spectre. There's no doubt about that. But, I mean, it's what you do with that with, with the graphics. And also, you're right, the jump to 3D where people tried to get in a little bit early. You know, if you look if you look at those early 3D games, much like we were talking about the early 3D movies, like as they age, they age terribly. Mm-hmm. And so you're less likely. No one's really looking back and reminiscing on playing Ballerina Toshinden uh, or something that lo- or like the original Tomb Raider when it looks like double edgy crap these yeah. days, you know. And, I, well, I, and I it's think, a good game, but it's ugly, you know. I think they, the they do their best. The advantage of those early 3D games is that they're in. Keep in mind, I say this knowing nothing, but they're fairly easily. <laughs> that's the story of your. That's that's yeah. your broadcasting career. <laughs> they're fairly easily upgraded. I mean, like if you look at N sixty four games like Super Mario sixty four, there are texture packs you can download to make the game look a million times better than it yeah. looks. So the yeah, the advantage of those early three D games is that you can easily upgrade the looks without taking away the fun. And with sprite based games, it's a lot harder to do something yeah. like that. So yeah. Brutal Barracuda asks, Wiz or Liz? Good go with Wiz. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd probably go Liz. Mm, makes sense. I'll, I like the ladies. Mm. Chris Folds asks, VR. Here's a question for you, Aaron. That's the it. Future? <laughs> VR, <laughs> that's it. Full stop. Is VR the future or will it never catch on? You know, I was listening to you and Neil earlier, and mm-hmm. Neil said something, and I think this is ultimately what keeps VR from being a big deal. He says, I have to set aside time to play with my VR and tell myself that I'm going to play it on Saturday morning. Right? That is the, That is not conducive to catching on. When you've got to make an appointment with yourself to do something that involves setup and, and clearing a room and having a lot of alone time and whatever... That's that is not something that I think is going to make something catch on. I don't think VR is going to fully catch on until you've got a wireless system, all right, that has uh, the uh, uh, resolution and motion uh, aspects that one would demand from uh, such an item. And I think the tech's not there yet. I think the tech's coming. Now, I think it's definitely doable, but it's not there yet. I don't think anything that's out now is going to get the job done. Yeah. Plus, I think you're all. We've talked about this before, boat. But ultimately, what's going to get VR over is some sort of app that people demand to play on it. I, I don't think that's enough. I think there's been some pretty decent VR stuff released in the past couple of years. Like Valve released that game, the Half Life game that I hear is really good. 
and the Star Wars uh, VR game. But I, I think you're gonna. It's gonna be a combination of the two. I think it's gonna be the minimum, the minimum uh, miniaturization and wireless aspects of the VR combined with the killer app. It's something where you don't have to, where you can just go and put something on and just start playing, just like you picked up a joystick. Not something you have to put a bunch of crap on the walls and clear the room, do all this crap. That's never going to catch on. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I feel like what we're seeing now are iterative steps toward the future. In the future, you're going to be able to put on a pair of glasses that look like the pair of glasses that we're wearing right now, and enter the world of virtual reality. Yeah. But we're we're just not we're just not there yet. So yeah. I agree. I I think that it is the future, but the future is not now. Flack, Rob Flack O'Hara writes. They say the expected lifespan of a floppy disk is ten to twenty years. How will the inevitable death of all floppy disks affect our hobby? Does it make you sad to know that floppy disks may die with our generation? No. Doesn't make me sad because it's this is the natural progression of storage. You know, does it make me sad that USBs are, are going to? Are you sad when zip disks die? No, screw them. Listen, it's the way we. You know, are we sad that we don't uh, we don't go out and use a, a an ice cream maker with a big barrel or go out and do our laundry with a roller? No, you know this is this is the way things move. This is we we have so much. The tech is so improved from when floppies were around uh, that uh, it it's uh, it's a good thing. Uh, we, we could have nostalgia for it, but I mean, listen, I used to use tapes to load stuff. Ask me if I'm nostalgic to sit there for ten minutes to load up Gallia on the on the Cocoa. I'm not. I'm not. I don't miss that a bit. I take the SD thing any day of the week, so I'm not sad. I got rid of all my floppies a couple years ago. Uh, you know, and it was sad then, but it was the right decision because ultimately I can store all my floppies on one freaking SD card and still have room for the entire N64 library and everything else. So, you know, I don't miss them. Yeah, well, I think in a way, as somebody that is interested in media preservation, it is sad that uh, various forms of storage have a shelf life. This is not something that you find with other forms of media. For example, like a record, like an LP. It will live forever. Like, you know, LPs don't degrade in the same way that floppy disks do because they're not magnetic medium. Um, so, yeah, it does, it, it, does, it does make me a little bit sad that, you know, people that want a 100% authentic experience of loading a game might, you know, the, the, you might not be able to do that in the future. But at the same time, um, because stuff like flash storage is around, what really matters is the game itself, the experience itself in the game. So, you know, it does make me a little sad that, that these things, but you also have to think about, you know, I guarantee you that there are things in place where somebody's working on a way to preserve the life of floppy disks. And, and here's the other thing, like the expected life is 10 to 20 years. I guarantee you, I've got a box full of C64 games uh, in, the, in the other room in the basement. If I put those in a 1541, I guarantee you the majority of them would still boot. Yeah, uh, uh, that's true. And I will, just to sum up, remember when I tried to give you that huge crate of Amiga disks? Yes. That? What was your response to my generous offer? Hell no! That's exactly correct. That's the end of that chapter. <laughs> so, Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky, asks, Have you ever managed to complete a text adventure game? If not, what's the closest you've been? 
I have finished. I've definitely finished some graphical text adventure games. And keep it in mind, the graphics had no bearing on the game. Uh, we've definitely done that. I know I, I, I finished Trek Boer. I finished Black Sanctum on the Coco. Uh, the more heavy-duty text games, like your Zorks, uh, that sort of stuff, I, I never beat those. Uh, I've beat some lower-level stuff. You know, it's funny, for especially for someone who came from the, the era that I did, I never got into text games that much. I was an arcade guy. I wanted some arcade action, man. And the text-based stuff, it's not something I was really into that much, so I didn't play a ton of them. I did play mm -hmm. the graphical text stuff because it was something pretty to look at. And, of course, I had to sit there forever like an idiot while the goofy, the Brent, played the Dallas Quest game over and over. So I did see that a lot, but it's not something I, I reveled in playing. Um, when I was a kid, I would get Antic Magazine. And by get, I mean my dad would... Xerox full issues of Antic Magazine from his friends at work and staple them together for me to have and then copy the discs. <laughs> um, they uh, they would always come with little text adventures on the cover disc. And these things were meant to be completed in an afternoon. And that's that's really the problem with so many games that we play is that uh, people had this unrealistic, in my opinion, expectation that everybody that played these games just had nothing to do but sit around and play their game. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a text adventure game that you can sit down and in five or six hours be able to figure out what's going on, be able to figure out the parser, solve the puzzles, and get to the end of the game. And that's one of the things that I really liked about these, these little text adventures. So I, I completed quite a few. I remember there was one, I think it was called Blackout, and the object of the game was that the power went off in your house. You had to go down to the basement and you had to fix the fuse and you had to and you had to restore power to your house. But it was so much fun because you had to do all the little steps like find the flashlight and put the batteries in the flashlight and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've Sounds completed. Great. I, I wouldn't say that. I, listen, man, we've got different. Nothing better than texting your way through putting batteries in a flashlight. Hey. Did you have to text your way through doing the dishes too? That sounds maybe, awesome maybe, too. Maybe. So anyway, I enjoyed those little short text adventure games, and uh, and I, I have completed a few. But any of the the big ones, the Zorks and things like that, there, there's no way. That no stuff way. sort of passed you by too. That was that was well before you were really. I mean, it that, was. You know, yeah. and I will say, I mean, I have. Coco had a plenty of what I would call big time text adventure games. You know, Bedlam comes mm -hmm. to mind was one that I remember playing that one. Sands of Egypt was a graphical text adventure. We played that one. We even uh, uh, we uh, me and the Brent reviewed a, a text game, a couple text games on ARG, and me and you even looked at a couple graphical text games from way back too. So we've looked at. Remember, we did that Cthulhu one on the show on the Amigos. Mm -hmm. So we've looked at them. Uh, and they can be fun, but it's you're right. You have to set a, you have to get yourself in the right frame of mind to sit down there and try to figure it out. Plus, text adventure games are just sort of like puzzle games with text, and I suck at puzzle games, so why should I be any better at text-based ones? That's the way I look at it. Good point. Barkbit asks if you find, or I'm sorry, you find the evil gnome trapped in a well. Wait a minute, this is a pixel Gaiden. <laughs> That's their gimmick. <laughs> oh, is it? Is that yeah, the is this, evil is gnome? This? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay, do you help him out out of curiosity of the strange being, or do you leave him there out of fear of yogurt and losing your pants? Oh, yeah. Who wrote this? Barkbit. Clearly, Barkbit has listed a lot of Pixel Gaiden. That evil gnome can stay down there because he does take your pants, and he does hit you with yogurt. So, no, not interested in the evil gnome. No good. Okay, 
I'll follow your advice with that one. Yeah. Plus, he's evil. Paul. Paul, yeah, that's true. Do you want to help an evil gnome? Yeah. Heck no. There's I want to leave him where he is. There's a wrestler called Evil Uno, but he's sort of a good guy. But it's so, Weird. Yeah, go figure. Pixels of Dawn asks, you decide to stop getting marooned on desert islands, but instead send a system in a game to an island that you never have to see or hear from ever again. So the system in a game don't have to be on the same system. Oh. What is getting cast away? So this is where we did something from the annals of time. Right. Go ahead, Bo. I'll have to ponder this for a moment. Uh, definitely Dungeon Keeper. Worst game ever. Um, and probably the You're Amiga 500. The which? The Amiga 500. What the hell I mean, is wrong horrible. with you, Boat? It's horrible. Of all it's the horrible... systems on Earth, you're going to pick an Amiga? You idiot. Well, think about it. They took everything that was awesome about the Amiga 1000 and threw it into the garbage. You're forgetting about they... the one thing they didn't take for the 1000. The zillion dollar price tag. That Listen, we I'm not concerned cost... with money. Oh, okay, Rockefeller McBoat. The rest of us are fucking... We're, we're freaking poor, man. You almost made me drop an F-bomb right there with your idiocy. Are you happy with yourself? Yeah, you better take a big swig after that stupid response. Wrong! Wrong answer! Okay, okay Mr. Man, let's see what you got. Holy cow, that's the stupidest answer I've ever heard. Also, the CDTV's walking around out there. You could have at least you could kill one. That's the one to get rid I've of. I've always loved the CDTV. You've never used one. It's an Amiga 500 in a box. It's the Irrelevant. exact same thing. It looks cool on the shelf, man. You need to be on the shelf after that answer. You're a dipstick. I'm going to ponder this for a second. If I could get rid of one computer through the from the annals of time, or I, I assume consoles are also in play. First of all, by the way, I get a big hoe out of watching you and Neil cover that eye of the beholder coming out for the C64. You already bit your tongue on that one, didn't you, Boat? As Neil hey, was as blowing that thing up. Listen, <laughs> you got to know when to hold and know when to fold. Oh, yeah, sure you do. What a goof. If we're going to send, I mean, are we sending just Amigas? Because there's that god-awful thing that Gateway produced, that Amiga that was round, that vacuum cleaner-looking number. Oh, yeah, the thing thing. on LGR. That thing needs to go to the desert island. That's for for darn sure. But if we're going to just get rid of a random computer, listen, nobody needs the the Timex Sinclair 1000. The American uh, version of the ZX Spectrum was a dud. It was incompatible. Even if you get all the crazy, listen, Eric over at the Pixel Gaiden, he got one of these things. He's mm-hmm. gotten all the additional garbage to make it work, and it's still a piece <laughs> of crap. Send that sucker to the desert island. That thing needs to go. That's my answer. Get that out of here. Okay. Amiga now what about 500. A game? I'm seriously tempted to get in my car and drive to your house and just batter <laughs> you for that statement. What about the game? Oh, uh, uh, hmm, game? Kilt Fighter on the Jaguar? No, because that's, that's that has its charm. Uh, you know, uh, I tell you, these are some of the worst games I've ever played, ever, in the history of the world. Um, let's go. Uh, listen, we mentioned it before. It caused a lot of people a lot of pain. Get Rise of the Robots out of here. Send that to the Desert Island, too. They probably had a Timex Sinclair version. They ported it to everything. So get, yeah. send that to the island. I'm getting that out not, of here. Not a bad choice. Yeah. I, I would go with One Must Fall myself. But <laughs> Okay, Paul, a.k.a. Hermski, asks... If your local community decided to erect a statue of you in the center of the town, show us how you would pose. So you're telling me that Hurricane's going to put a statue of me and you up? Like First of all, where would they put it? Where would they put it in Hurricane? I would say they put it over the fire department there in that little, little where the little pavilion little, is. That yeah. little alcove, yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the know, gazebo. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would probably, 
I can see Boat posing with his mouth open and his hands like this, and then me choking him like this. I think that would be the good pose. That's the way I would do it after that last guy. I can't get over that. I'm furious. What I would do is I would probably I would adopt the most pretentious pose possible, which is the way that Steve Jobs posed for the cover of his his biography that came out, the Walter Isaacs. Super where you put pretend- the, Oh, you yeah, not that. The, right, yeah. Just like that, that would be it. Yeah, that would be That's it. Good. And I would have my boot inches from your head, like Bruiser Brody style. I'm coming in with a big boot. Okay. Lord. Ah, Crabs asks, should Boat of Car grow his hair out to a balding fro? No. What do you think? No. Clearly, you've not seen Boat with his hair growing out. It was not a good thing. <laughs> it was not very fro-like, unfortunately. No, I mean, I, I, no, hold on a second. If you grew that out to a fro, okay, and I mean like, uh, uh, listen. Who's got who's got hair like you would have? I can think of two. I don't people. know how to respond to that. I, you know, uh, Art Garfunkel, the bald fro, right? Yeah. And maybe somebody like uh, Krusty the Clown, or somebody that has, or no, that's not right. Uh, 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 who's the clown? Uh, Bozo has the hair, the kind of hair you would have had. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I feel I, like if I grew my hair out, it would be the living personification of Bozo the Clown. And let, so. let's face facts: you and Art Garfunkel have zero in common. That's for darn what? sure. Yeah. What? No. Yeah. You you not for singing ability. You know, I still haven't done Bridge Over Troubled Water for the Patreon song. You should never do that. You should no, no, not after last week's abomination. <laughs> Christian Russell asks for me. The piano is the king of instruments, with the guitar and cello fighting over second place. Mind you, I do like the oboe. Anyway, which instrument oh, oh. do you rate is your favorite and why? What do you think, Aaron? I'm going to go with the... Uh, let me think about that for a minute. What do you got? You're a musician. Oh, I, I'm in complete agreement with Christian. The piano is the king of the instruments. You know, I can play lots of different instruments. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay at, at most... And I'm pretty good at trombone. I would trade every ounce of musical ability I have if I could play piano like Ben Folds. I mean, to me, that's ben the ultimate. Ben Folds? That's the yeah. guy you're going to pick? Absolutely. If I could play piano like Ben Folds, I would trade everything that I have in the talent why, department. Why Ben Folds? I've never heard anybody... I mean, what about Ellen John or Liberace? The all-time great Yeah, Ellen player. John Liberace. Billy yeah. Joel? None of those guys are ben as Folds good as Ben kills, Folds. Oh, I know that you're not a real music guy, but Ben Folds kills all of those guys. I'm a with real his, music like, guy. What yeah. the hell is that? What about the uh, uh, what the guy with the range, Bruce Hornsby? He was a big piano killer. What? Bruce Hornsby? He has that one song that gets played sometimes on 80s radio. No, but he's got other songs. He also yeah. toured with some other bands. Okay. What's your answer? Well, uh, hold on a second. I'm not done with you yet. What makes what makes the the guy for Ben Folds? What makes this guy such an awesome pianist? Because I mean, he's an you he's can a legit separate, You've got your guitarist. You can tell what a guy's a real kicking guitarist. Can you I've really? Never heard, I've never heard anybody kill it on piano. I thought to myself, this guy's leagues above these other guys. So well, you don't makes, know much about piano. Oh, I'm why. asking you. That's what it, like Ben okay, Folds. Okay, hold ben on a second. Folds. Go ahead and go ahead and get that pretentious pose back out. For that statement, I'm asking you to educate me, you weasel. What makes this ben, guy so much better? Because Ben Folds has legit technical ability at the piano. Like, he can play actual music on the piano. Elton John and Billy Joel, they can play their songs on the piano. That's what they play. They play, like, pop piano style. 
Ben Folds is a legit pianist. Like, he can play tons and tons and tons of stuff that these guys can't even touch. He has a technical ability that these guys, he's leagues above them. I mean, I don't know how to explain it but differently. I mean, than you're, you're assuming that these guys can't play piano except for the crap they write, right? No, I've heard, I've, heard, I've heard them play other stuff. Does Ben Folds have, great. like, a concert album or something? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he played some Bach stuff that most high school pianists play at a recital. That doesn't make him sound any better. He plays crap that a high school kid plays? I'm talking about Billy Joel when he put out that class. Oh, I album. see. I see. Okay, yeah, you lost me there a second. Well, that's, hey, listen, I'm not questioning you. I just That was an odd answer because I haven't heard Ben Folds' name for forever. I don't know what the well, last he, time. I'm not saying, is he anywhere in the same league in fame as Billy Joel and Elton John? Heck no. Yeah, but I mean, when, Billy... you, when you think of famous pianists, right, there's a few people that come up. Right, and those are a couple that come up. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Billy that, Joel, Nolan, John, probably the most famous piano players of the 20th the Liberace century. Liberace and I don't know a couple others. I don't know the Liberace ranks up there. I mean, Liberace. Liberace would crush those other guys. Probably he was a stud. Well, he, he, I mean, well, he was he was good at piano. <laughs> but so, but anyway, what, what what is your favorite instrument, Aaron? What's uh, your what's your favorite? theremin? Theremin. Yeah. yeah, that's a legit answer. Yeah. I like theremin. Yeah. Um, Mitsuyama asks, "Come on, boat." It's about time you dish the dirt on the seedy underbelly of life in bands and orchestras. Is the brass section always fighting with the woodwind section? Do the first violins look down on the rest of the string section? Violins. <laughs> Does everyone point and laugh at the percussionists? What are some no. of the inner band rivalries that seem so important when you're in a band but would leave the rest of us struggling to understand? Well, Aaron, you and I can both answer this question, having been members of, of the band. Pretty much the brass section reign supreme over the woodwind section. Oh, yeah, they're, yeah, over there. They're, yeah, they're yeah, complete yeah. non-factors. Yeah. Because when you're out there on the field, when, in real band and marching band, you can't hear the woodwinds. They're inaudible. It's a brass section that has control. It's the brass section that gets it done. Now, as a band director, of course, I can never admit this to my students because that would that would crush them. Because your but in my mind, would be I'm thinking, hurt, but the, they yeah. don't mean nothing. No one can hear yeah. that crap. And yeah. by the way, the guy said, like, do they bully the drummers? No. The drummers are the bullies of the band. Like, yeah. they bully everyone else. Yeah. Except for the low... There's usually the guys that play tube or big oafs, you know. <laughs> and, protect the rest of the low brass. That's right, that's yeah. Uh, well, the low brass section, you don't have to worry about them, but your trumpeteers are the guys that can get their butts kicked. You know, your, <laughs> those are the guys you have to worry about. We've, <laughs> I, I've personally never been in a band that had a violin section. That'd be cool. No. But I can't imagine, again... But the fact that you've got violins in a section and then you've got tubas standing around, that don't, that's not good for the violins. It's like, when you go, that's why in orchestras you'll have 87 violins and only yeah. one tuba. When, when, when you're in the marching band, it boats right. The brass, are, are they're the ones that are picking a whole band up and walking around and the drums to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. And everyone else likes to pretend they're important, but effectively they're just window dressing for your various shapes on the field because the, low, right. the brass in particular the low brass because I mean trumpets are loud but if low brass want to blow them away and we've done this on occasion just to prove a point the trumpets are boned yeah. the low brass they run the freaking show and by the way to a certain degree there's the oddball instruments that that are that are woodwinds but are still they're above everyone else which is your sax players you generally the sax players are somewhere between the rest of the woodwinds and the brass I give agree them completely. a little bit of dap because you can also right. sort of hear them. You know, I'm very impressed with this amount of knowledge that you're dropping, Aaron, because you're 100 percent right. You know, hey, listen, and it never changes, man. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Folds asks, 
As a band teacher, can you confirm or deny the band camp stories from the American Pie films? Um, did you go away to band camp, Aaron? When I the, the year I joined band camp, they stopped going away, mm. so I never got to go to a proper band camp. But I can tell you, I deny those stories. <laughs> I can tell. You, here's what band camp was: was it loads of fun? No. Was it day after day of getting screamed at because you suck? Yes. And then occasionally also having heat stroke. That was also part of it. It was not fun. Every year I dr- I dreaded it. I was like, my God, get me out of here. Hated. Hated. We band did. Camp. We did go away to band camp. We went to Camp Virgil Tate. Are you are you familiar with Camp oh, Virgil yeah, Tate? Oh yeah, I'm familiar with that one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, although we, we didn't, you know, as far as I know, again, because I was a member of the low brass section, I, I, I can't really uh, comment on what other instruments did on their own time. What did you but, play in uh, band, Bo, when you were back in there? I know you were in the low brass, but which instrument did you play? I played trombone my freshman year, and I played your instrument the rest of the time. The baritone? Yeah. Yeah. Good for yeah. you. Trombone, the the most difficult of the low brass instruments. Yeah. By a uh, long, by in fact, probably the most difficult of all instruments. They, 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 all I, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. But uh, the, the trombone is known as a master instrument yeah. because it is so yeah. difficult. In fact, the baritone is known as the instrument for idiots. That's because they can't buzz fast enough to be trumpeteers, and they don't have anywhere near the jack to be a tubist or a trombonist. They know, so that's that's where I was at. Um, Batman asks, simple one for my two favorite Americans. Thank you, Batman. Is the PlayStation 2 now old enough to be considered retro? It's 21 years old, but the last games were released only eight years ago. The Dreamcast qualifies. What of Sony's second born? Does the Dreamcast qualify for you, Boat? As retro, yes. yes. Uh, you know, this is one of those loaded questions because, and also, every time I want to play a game that you don't consider retro, you give me the business, i.e., the Xbox, which is out before the PlayStation Two. I might add. Um, <laughs> so uh, I want. I'm, I'm very interested to hear your response. For me, I don't care. I play whatever I want uh, all the time, uh, and so it does. For me, retro everything that passed this. Everything that doesn't have a cartridge is not retro to me. It's in my mind, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, 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 I guess to the rest of the world, PS2 is sort of retro. When 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 your students and those guys were looking back on the N64 as this classic old system they grew up with, when I started hearing people talking about that, I'm like, I was like, holy crap. That really blows my mind because well, that was a 3D system, I, you know. I'm going to blow your mind even more because they don't look at it as the classic system they grew up with because it came out several, like a decade before they were born. Well, I'm I mean, not my your students. students. Yeah, keep my mind, students, your students now keep were born old, in 2006. younger. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know. And again, this is it's a subjective question. Answer I don't. Vote. I I still don't think that the PS2 is retro. I think that because of releases like the GTA games and stuff that really, I mean, they're still getting put out now. To me, I, And again, I have no real reason to, to, to back that up. For whatever reason, the Dreamcast does resonate with me as a retro system, but the PS2 doesn't. And the Dreamcast looks great. It looks at least yeah. as good as the PS2. Listen, yeah. for me, I've been around for a long time, Boatster, as you like to mm-hmm. remind me. Your everything before the Atari 2600 retro, Atari 2600 retro, Intellivision, ColecoVision, all retro. Okay, the NES. Now you're getting close, but okay mm-hmm. for me. Now I'm not saying it's not retro for everybody else, but for me, 
I was around before the NES. No one knew what the heck an NES was for until it, you know. Here it comes. Okay, now we know. That's sort of because that's when that's the little point where video games sort of changed. All right, to, for me in my mind, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, so it, it, I think retro is in the eye of the beholder boat, and a yeah. different person is going to have a different answer, man. Well, for me, it's because when I got into the retro scene, you know, probably in the early two thousands was when I first was exposed to other collectors. Um, the PS two was the hot newness, and the PlayStation before was the old oldest, and uh, and so that for in my mind that will always be the gap. And the Dreamcast sort of falls right in the middle. I mean, the Dreamcast came out many years after the original PlayStation, but because it was Sega's last hurrah, and they, uh, the, the, to me it, it falls into that same camp. But I don't know for whatever reason there's there's that demarc that line of demarcation after the PlayStation where it's like this is this is a more modern system and it's not in my mind it's not retro. Yeah, it's so. it's it, again it's it's going to depend on who you are. Yeah, absolutely. But when it comes to doing shows and crap, do whatever I want. That's the way I look at it. it does, whether you like it or not, boat. Aaron, Jonah asks, now this is going to be probably the most controversial question of the entire episode. That's, and this is and this entirely falls upon you because I'm in no way qualified to speak on this. All right. He says, now, we li- now that we live in a fairer world, do you think one day there will be a female James Bond? Do we live in a fairer world? I'm not sure what I'm, that means. So I'm just going to disregard that part. Okay. Uh, will there be a female James Bond? You, you got that right. You better believe there will be. There'll be a female James Bond. There might be a transgender James Bond. They're black, white, green. Whatever's going to take them to the pay window, yo. Just like Doctor Who. James Bond, the days of like a, the guarded mystique of all these classic characters, that's all, go- that's all gone. Uh, uh, I'm now, And it's up to you to determine whether that's a good thing. And I'm not sitting here telling you, but I'm just saying... When Doctor Who had a lady play the Doctor, okay, uh, there was that people... when the was that when the column fell? No, oh no, that that show had been on the it had been on the edge of the precipice for a long time, and mm. it wasn't her fault it went over. It was it was it was stinking up the joint well before she came on. Now she didn't help, you know, but it wasn't, I I never blame the actors for these things. They don't write this crap. You know, it's a lot like wrestling. Right. It's not their fault that the storylines are the stupidest things I've ever seen. They're they're athletes, you know. Uh, but uh, they're already, you know, if you'll recall, the James Bond with the Hal Berry in it. She was supposed to come in and do her own sort of Bond character. Well, it never really. Yeah, she was going to be uh, uh, have her own movie. Well, that movie didn't do well that she was in because it was horrible. I might add. What, was that that? Um, what was I, that movie with who, Travolta? Was that is that what you're talking about? No, what? Not what are you talking about? I'm talking mm. about James Bond. Travolta was never James Bond. No, but Halle Berry was in that movie with you're Travolta. Swordfish. Like, Swordfish, right? No, I'm not talking about that. That has nothing to do with the conversation. Although I, I did like that movie, but uh, 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 so yes, there will be a, a girl Bond. I have no doubt. I have no doubt if it's if it's if it's, if it's not the next Bond, it may be. In fact, there's a, a, a there's a couple people I've heard that are up for it. You know, listen, I don't know what they're gonna call her. <laughs> I guess she'll be 007. They're gonna call her James oh, Bond. J- Jane Bond. Jane, that's stupid. You know, why can't we just have listen? James Bond is a white British guy. Okay, this isn't like Doctor Who where you can change where you're. <laughs> Where you can change, you absorb, you form a new body. This is a guy, all mm-hmm. right. So if you're going to call him, 
007, then you could change the name if it's a chick. But I don't have a problem with it. I mean, I do. Part of me does. But part of me is like, listen, the James Bonds that I grew up with, they're gone. They're not coming back. This is the money-making portion of the album where they need to get the cash. So whatever keeps the series going, you know, will it succeed? Probably not. I mean, if, if history has shown us anything, when they replace uh, tried-and-true beloved characters with replacements, whether they're a different sex or creed or color, it doesn't always do that well. I mean, look, I'll, and I'll, I'll cite the... Are you talking about Latino Spider-Man now? No, I'm talking about the chick Ghostbusters flick that died mm-hmm. a mil... And that is a dog of a film. But people mm. didn't want that. They wanted Harold Ramis, and they wanted all the original guys back. Uh, but no, I think there absolutely will be a, a, a female James Bond who will be called whatever. And hopefully, hey, listen, if she if she's a good actress and they write her good stuff, I'll go see it. You know, man, I, I, I'm easy. I just want to see some good Bond action, you know, so there okay. you go. Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky, asks, what game cover artwork on a package most impressed you? Say that one more time. I didn't catch all that. Sorry. What game cover art on a package most impressed you? Most impressed me? You want to cover this one first? I got that. You know, I, I was I, I was reading over this as you were expounding upon your thoughts on the female James Bond. And, yeah, sorry. You know, it's... To be honest with you, I've never really been a big, like, go into the store and buy a game based on the cool cover art kind of guy. Um, we We cover a lot of games on the Amigos where the cover art is great. Like Transartica, that had a great cover, um, but I was usually so well versed in either I would either rent the game before I bought it, or I would be so well versed in the reviews for the game before before I you know put down the money. I never walked in and bought a game based on the cover art alone. Did you? Um, probably. If you want the truth, <laughs> probably mm-hmm. did. You know. So here's the here's my answer. I pirated 99.9% of everything I ever owned, okay? There's more boxes of games behind me than I've ever owned, ever, ever, okay? So I never knew what the box art looked like for most of this stuff. I mean, just to, I'm just going to be honest. Mm-hmm. It's one of the problems when you pirate stuff. Aside from the fact you don't get the documentation stuff, you do, there's something to be said for the uh, cool uh, package you get, you know, with the, right. you know, I saw uh, Shane Arbord Road just put a video up where he was going through a bunch of old C64 oh, stuff. Oh, Lord. Here and we he, go. And, well, and he was ta- He was showing off his those EA album-style uh, uh, boxes they used to have, right? And they're yeah. cool. They're, and they we, are. I know they're you great. like them, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, and, but I never got those. I've got mm-hmm. a couple now, but I didn't have them then because I didn't. I pirated everything. So when it comes to great box art, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. And I can sit here and name a couple things. But I mean, nothing that I can think of because I, I, they're not ingrained in my mind enough to remember what the box you art know, looks like. I'm glad. It's, it's so great that we do the show the way that we do because sometimes you'll say something and will trigger something in my mind. I, I take it back. Um, and I never bought games based on this, but the fact that the black box games on the Nintendo showed actual screens from the game, I mean, that was not something that you ever saw before on the yeah. cover. You know, a lot of times you would see the screenshot of the game in a real tiny window on the back of the box if you got it at all. 
And I still remember going to like the rental store and I would rent games based on the fact that like, hey, I know what I'm getting into. When I pick out Kid Icarus, I see that that's what I'm going to be getting. And so I guess that's probably the thing that impressed me the most was that Nintendo was the first company that actually had the cojones to say, listen, this is what you see when you load up the game. We're going to put it right up there on the front of the box. To be fair, Nintendo was one amongst the first systems that could put the graphics on the front of the box and not have them look like garbage. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're yeah. not going to put like a, a Texas, but like I was sitting there thinking of the of the boxes that I remember, and a lot of the ones like uh, like uh, uh, Infocom always had awesome boxes for the Texas Adventures. I was like, they were always very appealing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, they had to be because they were that that uh, them amongst all the other sellers of games, they had to have the best total package because ultimately you're getting text as the game. Right. So it behooved right. them to have an awesome eye-catching box. You know, you know, it is funny. Uh, JKDK in the chat, our buddy Jan, he says, I did check out the box art, um, but the main thing was the weight of the thing. And yeah, this was one thing that true. I always, I considered that whenever I bought a PC game, is if you could pick it up and it had some heft, then that, that would go a long way to saying this, is, this thing is worth your money. Jan's dead on. That yeah. was one of my... Yeah, because you think to yourself, holy smoke, there's probably four or five discs in here. There's a right. big, thick manual in here. There's probably, probably a, a poster, stuff. a cloth map. Yeah. Yeah, so I agree with that. I will say, this is a crappy answer, but it's true because I looked at it for so long. I love the uh, box art for the original EverQuest. Mm-hmm. It had that hot elf chick on it, you know, and there was, and, and then little, uh, there, aside, beside her, little scenes of different stuff going on in the world. And it made you, it gave you a good flavor for what you could expect in the land of EverQuest, the Norath, and uh, um, uh, it was well-done art. You know, I came from that D&D uh, art background from looking at all the monster manuals and stuff, and, I'll, and so you'll love that high fantasy art. It was always mm-hmm. something that appealed to me, so I'll, I'm going to say that that's one of the ones I really thought was really attractive. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky, also asks, at what point during the gaming timeline did game graphics become more impressive than the cover artwork? And just like you said, I really think that the NES was sort of that sea change moment where you could actually put the graphics on the box and not be ashamed. I never looked at NES stuff for the obvious reason, but when the graphics on the on the box for the game looked better than on the box, I mean... Um, <clears throat> I don't think it ever happened, but I mean... You have to really go forward, because it's a lot easier to draw a picture of it than it is to, to represent that yeah, live Yeah, I mean, game. I would think of... The first stuff I would say, like, hey, this is comparable to what you're seeing, would be something like a Dragon's Lair, where mm-hmm. the art of right. the box is lifted right. directly from the game. You know? Uh, mm-hmm. I remember, I'll tell you, Prince of Persia had box art that was from the game on it. I remember seeing that. You're talking about I, the PS2 version, right? No, I'm talking about the original versions. that had, like... It may have been Prince of Persia 2. I don't remember which one it was, but they actually had art from the game one. I remember that. And I thought to myself, that's cool. It's But that was a rarity. What you usually got was those screenshots on the back, and you'd see, like, PC version, you know, Commodore version, and Amiga version. And the Amiga version always crushed everything else, generally. You're like, yep, that's Right, they I always want. put the Amiga version on the back of and the box. And, of course, box. I was usually getting the PC version, so I was getting hosed big time. <laughs> but, yeah. Mitsuyama asks, does retro ever become too retro for you? Are there games or systems so old that you have no interest in playing them? Is there a specific year that is a cutoff point for you where you don't tend to bother with games or systems released before that year? I'll I'll start on this one. You know, 
one of the blessings of doing these shows, because we bitch a lot, Boat. What? We do. But one of the blessings of these shows is that it makes a question like that, like, not true to me. There is no cutoff, okay? And you probably are thinking to yourself, oh, that's got to be crap. Me and Brent covered the uh, Tandy uh, 100, I think it was, the uh, hand, the portable hand, handheld 100, and you had a little space about yay big and yay long. It's all nothing but text characters to play games, okay? And we had a blast playing games that, and we had, and I'm going to say that that's our all-time most popular episode, and it was all, and part of it was we sat down and critiqued these games. We didn't right. just phone it in, man. We actually sat down and played them. And sometimes playing when you go all the way back, all right, and boil it down. And a lot of people listen. Hey, okay, I'm going to I'm going to get jump bad here. A lot of people tell you like, oh, graphics don't matter, blah blah. blah. But let's see the proof in the pudding. And the proof of the pudding is when you sit down and try to play these games, man. Are they crap? Can you play them? Is there a game there? Okay. And there's no one. I, I challenge anyone to say that about uh, about us because we go back and play these old games that are literally as basic as they can be. Some of them are in basic. Okay. And there is fun to be had. And I think there's a critiquable game there in a lot of times. So I would say no. There is no, I have no bottom limit. Now, is there are there things that I look forward to more than other things? Yes. But it's amazing how often I can have a good time playing the most simple, basic thing. Now, yeah. it could just be me. It could just be something subconsciously saying, hey, you got a show coming up. you got to do something with this. But, I mean, I've sat down and played these old games and had a good time with them. And uh, enjoyed the heck out of them at the most basic level. So I will say that. What about you? Yeah, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, particularly if you have somebody to play with. I mean, if you go back to the Odyssey 1, the system was designed for you to be playing with somebody else. And this is the, this is the system where you have to take out the yonder plastic overlay and put it over your, you yeah. know, your 24-inch television. If you don't have a 24-inch television, you're screwed because the overlays won't work. <laughs> um, and, and so, but there, there's fun to be had in almost every video game. And there's stuff to talk about. And so I, you know, I don't have a limit in terms of like what do I sit down and play with on a regular basis? You probably I'd be hard pressed to go back to anything before the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. Like I'm not going to load up Channel F games to play just Channel for fun. F, yeah, there, I will say that's not my favorite console, but I've played stuff that was out before or when it was out that mm -hmm. were okay. The Channel F, I, I, that's not my favorite. I, yeah, and one, once you get when, and once you get before that, basically all you have is variations on Pong. And that's fine, you know, but um, but yeah, I there I can appreciate almost everything in the retro world because everybody was trying to make the next big thing. Yeah, you know, nothing had been discovered yet, though the playing field was wide open, and that makes things a lot more interesting. Like I would sit down, and of course, everybody that's listening to this show is probably with me. You know, who wouldn't rather sit down with one of these games than, you know, God of War 16 or whatever is, is, is out currently. So that's, that's just the way that I look at it. Um, I, you know, I would say that my cutoff is probably the Atari 2600 in terms of like what I would sit down and play for a long period of time without, you know, doing a show on it later. But 
there, there's fun to be had pretty much with anything that you do with video with, games. With me and Britt covered the NASCOM a, a while back, which is a British kit computer. And, I mean, it's as, mo- it's as basic as it gets. And we found stuff that we enjoyed on the NASCOM, much like uh, the stuff, the, the, the uh, TRS-80 Model 1 stuff. There's, I think almost everything that had a, was capable of playing a game has something worth fiddling with. And, and of course, maybe I'm a freak. There's <laughs> also that possibly. But I, I do tend to find enjoyment in that stuff. So, yeah. All right. We wrap things up with two questions from Paul, a.k.a. Hermsky. He says, with so much reliance on the Internet these days, do you think it's high time that providers should be penalized and made more accountable by law for downtime? That's a tough question. I mean, part of me wants to say yes, hold them accountable, but in a place like West Virginia or America, let's just say America in general, this is a large space. And there's a lot of rugged terrain, and there's a lot of, uh, especially in a place like West Virginia, there's a lot of environmental difficulties that are they're not easy to overcome. So I give, even with our horrible internet, horrible, I give the cable companies the benefit of the doubt because I know they're up against it. But when what when their failures are chronic, then they should be held accountable. Like boats, internet's been perpetually garbage. And I'm hoping these storms that blew all this stuff down, maybe they replace some of the crap that's made your internet so hideous. Because that's what I'm better. thinking, because lately it's been great. Yeah, and so uh, it's sad that it, a natural disaster has to happen right. before they fix the lines. But uh, uh, but it's, dip, you know, it's just, until we have uh, pure wide area networks, right, across the states, uh, and, and even in West Virginia, that's going to be a difficult task just due to the... People don't understand the amount of valleys and real rugged terrain here, and you're going way down. I mean, this is the mountain state for a reason, man. Mm-hmm. It's tough for that stuff to get down, filter down in here. Right. Uh, and so uh, it's hard to... I mean, listen, our cable companies, our cable products, are they scumbags? Yes. Are they money grubbers? Yes. Do they change the rates and fees on you and double them and triple them up every couple of years? They do. That's what they need to be held accountable for. Are these ridiculous rate increases tacking on these ridiculous add-ons, these weird fees? That's how they screw you. The fact that I paid fifty dollars for internet ten years ago and then I pay a hundred and fifty now, and all I've got is internet. Yeah, they should be accountable for that. But in terms of an occasional outage or something, I don't think that's something they should be their feet should be held to the fire on. Yeah, well, I agree with you to a certain extent. I I think that really the fault lies with the government. Uh, I think that the government needs to do a lot more to make the infrastructure of the electrical and internet lines of the residents of our great state uh, more. Uh, you know, less prone to failure. And how do you do that? Well, you bury them. You do what every other country does. You bury those lines. So when the trees fall down, they don't cut off electricity and internet for, you know, thousands and thousands of people. But it's difficult. It's That's a difficult proposal. Oh, I'm not saying it's, yeah. it's because, you know, we, like you said, we have very rugged terrain. There are people yeah. who live in very rural areas. Yeah. And um, you got to spend money. you got to spend money, yeah. and our state doesn't have a whole lot of money. And they, but, and they and they and so what they would do is just upcharge us a ton more for that stuff, and it would be a, a ridiculous at that point. So but, we're in a weird area. Yeah, yeah. But I believe 
that that is, you know, what needs to happen in addition to you've got to give some sort of economic stimulus to allow more competition to come into our state. Right now, we have a de facto monopoly yeah. of, you know, high-speed internet in our state. A lot and of you've got to, do. Yeah. You've got to pull whatever strings you need to pull to get at least one more provider in here and make them care enough to make it a competitive landscape. Because otherwise, you know, when you've got a monopoly, you can charge as much as you want. You can provide as poor service as you want. And there's nothing that can happen yeah. to you because no, there's nowhere else to go. You're right. You did. And ultimate. And here's the here's the bottom line. Okay, our FCC and internet companies. It's it's a it's a it's a scam. It's. I mean, listen. This this isn't a hidden secret. It's a joke. Our FCC appointees are jokes. They're all former cable leaders. They're they all worked for the companies that they're they're supposed to be going against. And so the oversight is zero. This is an American issue. It's a it's a an, it's an issue with the with the way the government works. And until uh, that's addressed, and, and let me tell you something, this is a bipartisan failure. You can't blame anyone, man. This has been going on for decades. Mm -hmm. This FCC baloney, the crap with these monopolies. It's there's a lot of monopolies in the U.S. that that just there. They're grandfathered in. So until Someone says, I mean, let's face facts, Boat, and I'm not a big socialist guy, but the Internet should be like a utility. It mm -hmm. should be something that we all have access to. You don't have an option anymore, man. It's just like the right. water line or the electricity. And mm -hmm. until that happens, and they're never going to let that happen as long as they can, uh, we're all going to get fleeced. And that's just the way it is. Uh, uh, America is not perfect newsflash, and our government's got issues. And one of the issues we have is... We've got built-in monopolies that are allowed to they're allowed to exist because people are getting paid off. Bam. Yeah, yeah. I I can't add anything more to that. You're you're 100 correct. Finally, our last question of this month's Ask the Amigos comes to us again from Paul, aka Hermsky. He says, "Are you any closer to succumbing to the Mister Crew, Aaron? You you should you should tackle this one first. Yes, I, I, I I'm not gonna lie. Uh, I have almost pulled the trigger more than a few times. It's funny. Jack Flack did a a, a, a quite a good show. Uh, I'm plug plug. Uh, you don't know Flack. I know I plug this a lot, but it's it's the, one of the top shows. Okay, it is. And he did a show on his Mister, and Flack tells you he lays it out dumb guy style because that's the way it needs to be laid out. And I've also seen Frodo. There's a bunch of people in our Discord that have uh, FPGAs, misters. And I love these guys because they give you the scoop. And I've almost pulled the trigger a couple of times. But here's the thing. I look around me here, Boatster, and you know this. And I'm not bragging. I don't have like some kind of immaculate collection. But I've got a C64 here. i got a Dreamcast, Xbox, 3DO, Super Nintendo, NES... Uh, uh, a ColecoVision, all this other stuff. It's, it's right here. And a lot of the stuff that the Mister does, I've got real hardware that I've got hooked up, up and running, that will do the job. Okay? And so, for me, what will the Mister do that I can't currently do with the crap I've got now? And it's not quite enough for me to pull the trigger. There's also the fact that it costs a lot of money, and, I, and I'm, as is commonly known, I'm po. I don't got yes. 500 big w wigwams lying around where I can just drop the drop them on this sucker. 
now, could I could I raise the funds? Absolutely. I could sell some stuff and raise the money to get one of these things. But what would I use it for? What I would use it for would be to stream, which I do enjoy doing. But since I can stream most of the stuff already, uh, it I don't. There's not a huge upside for me. Now I will say, watching Frodo's streams, Frodo goes and plays uh, all the Coleco Vision games. Bam. Okay. Mm-hmm. I've got this, as you know, Bo, the old Coleco uh, Dip Switch of uh, 192 and one. Does this have every game that Coleco Vision can play? Absolutely not. Okay. So I can see the appeal. You, 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 you also had trouble with that last time you tried to stream. Well, I mean, I just one correctly. game. One game was a little iffy. Uh, but uh, most of my stuff, I've got SD card solutions or multi cards. And so when you buy a uh, when you buy this Mister, what would I do with the rest of this stuff? It's just gonna be. Well, I mean, you really won't need it. I'm not one of these guys that's like hardcore. You've got to have original hardware. You know, I don't. I really, I don't care. You know that boat, but. I've got original hardware. Like, I streamed 3DO last night. I could have emulated it. I've got an emulator that plays it great. But it's more fun to fire up. I mean, I've got this thing. What the hell am I doing with it if I'm not going to use it? You know what I mean, Boat? What do you What yeah. do you think about it? I. It's funny. I think we've agreed on this episode more than we've ever agreed <laughs> in any of Ask the Amigos in the past. I mean, if I turn my camera around right now, you can see that I have, um, I've got a, a PAL C64, a Spectrum Plus 2, an Amstrad uh, 464, and the original 64, or 48K ZX Spectrum with the dead flesh. Yeah. Uh, over here beside me right now, I, I've got a, an Atari 1200XL. Uh, I've, uh, I've got the Atari 1200XL. I've got the uh, Coco uh, 3 that you graciously gave me and an Amiga 1000. Mm-hmm. I've got a, lot, a lot of original hardware. Yeah. And if I want to emulate a uh, a console, I've got the original Xbox, which I also have hooked up. It's it's currently right below the PS2 that's beside the Coco 3. So I just wonder, you know, what am I going to use this thing for if I get one? Now there is, you know, there there's a lot of convincing use cases out there, but at the end of the day, I really like whenever I'm playing a game. I don't like to play it on a flat screen LCD. Uh, I like to play it on a CRT. I like playing it on the CRT that I have, which is this JVC CRT uh, right here. Uh, that is, uh, it, it only has composite inputs, and it does everything I want it to do. It's, it's NTSC and it's PAL. Um, if they made a, you know, a board that allowed me to easily connect a mister to a composite monitor, uh, I might be more apt to buy it. But other than that, um, it, it, there's just the, the use case just isn't there for me. Yeah, I, I've got the Coco and I've got the 1200XL hooked up, ready to go at any time. I've got the NES with the EverDrive cart hooked up at any time. Everything's got flash storage solutions for the rest of the consoles, plus the Spectrum. I've got the Xbox. What are we doing here? You know, do I need to spend another five hundred dollars? I don't think so. You know, I'll, I know I want to say this too because I'm not ruling out this. Because one thing that Mister would help me out is, of course, is the ARG side of this, where we play a, some really obscure stuff. And I've looked over what the Mister supports, and it supports weird stuff like the Auric and uh, uh, some of these older machines. So there would be there's something to be said for that. Uh, you know, I've got a, uh, I've got a bunch of uh, these classic consoles, and a lot of this stuff. Listen, uh, uh, some of the stuff I had for a long time, but some of the stuff I bought uh, with the help of the people in here, they sent us stuff. You know, and so uh, uh, when you send us something, all right, you can be darn sure we're going to use it. Uh, or and if you and with your Patreon money, uh, we're going to spend it towards stuff. So some of the stuff I've picked up with money from the show. 
Uh, and so I want to use that stuff. But, I mean, there, I can see a scenario at some point in the future where a uh, a mister is on the horizon. The one thing that worries me is that the mister's been out for a while, and I wonder if maybe the, the next big right. thing might be Absolutely. on the horizon. How far are we away from the mister, too? <clears throat> and you ended up in the same situation that Flack was, where he has the mist, and it's essentially a paperweight because all of the development community has moved on to the mister. Yeah. All right, so we thank you, everyone, for listening and joining us on this journey of Ask the Amigos for February 2021. Uh, we have a pretty good crowd here with us tonight. Uh, let's see, I, I do want to call them out because a lot of these you people are staying You can call them up. out? Yeah. They're, <laughs> you they're punks. Up. How dare you show up in our chat? <laughs> they're staying up way too late to be with oh, us. Oh, man, they're just We've starting. got Pixel, Pixels of Dawn Gaming, our incredible moderator, is here with us. We've got BarkBit. From over there in the Sweden, we got Bike Me in Hawaii. Talk about different poles. Yeah, uh, we that's got, awesome. Yeah, Brock101 is here with us. Buck Owens from the wilds of Iowa. Canadian Retro Things from Serbia. Uh, Edvin Helen. Hold on a second, wait a second, back up. Canadian Retro Things is in Serbia? He's in He's in Canada. Well, that's, <laughs> I bought it for a second <laughs> <laughs> Edvin is Edvin's up in a cabin right now. I think he's chilling with his brother. You know, oh, you know, you know how I feel about Edvin's brother. You know, no, genius know. of our you, time. Oh, I, you, yeah. If you've never met Edvin's brother, yeah. probably one of the smartest people you've ever met in your life. Incredibly intelligent, incredibly articulate, fine command of the English language, even more than Edvin, which is, I mean, that's saying that sounds something. Sounds like my kind of guy, but yeah, yeah. We got FCD and Hag. Um, and we got uh, Frodo and L, of course, uh, getting it done from, Old from Denmark. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got FTO Payer. Um, yeah. FTO. Great. Uh, we got Graham. Graham's here with us from Australia. Yeah, he is. He's been here. Yeah, welcome, Graham. Uh, we've got Hermski is here, of course. Uh, we we want to thank Hermski for submitting all of the great questions that he did. And, uh, his, Jason, and his various videos, which are awesome. Yeah, uh, Jason Warns joining us again from the Great White North. He's a hoser. Jake, Jake, DK, our buddy Jan. Yes, Jan. Much uh, love, Jan. Yeah, that's right. Much love. Uh, John Marshall three. John, a local from here in Char the Charleston area. I miss you, area. John. Yeah, we'll get together. Don't worry. ICC will never replace the Taze Valley Classic Computer Club. Know this. No. Know this. Jost80 is here with us. Yes. L. Curtis Boyle. Lots of Canadians. Also hoser. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Um, we've got Mitsuyama. Yes. Keeping it real from the UK. Olav Hope. Yes. Car2010, another fine fin. Always around. RetroRewind.ca. We, yes. you know, we can't thank him enough for sponsoring both Amigos and This Week in Retro. Keep if you haven't had good, a chance... Man. To check out uh, RetroRewind.ca. If you need new hardware for your C64 or your Amiga, check him out. Another hoser. Right, that's right. Yeah. Rob Flack O'Hara. Yes. Just, just in from checking, checking on his wife with the laundry wheel yes. or whatever you were calling that thing. Uh, Senior Bravo. Threepwood yes. Thrifts. Oh, Decker yes. Threepwood has joined us. He's got, he's got some videos cooking over there. Yeah, and Vigoro Pros. I'm not really yes. sure. Vigoro Pros might be a bot. I say his name every time because I like saying it. It allows me to think that I'm at least partially bilingual. No. But, uh, right. yeah, yeah. You're barely so, unilingual. Well, that's true. That's true. You and speak of course, any Japanese or uh, Korean? I was pretty good at Korean. Can you, you know, say something like uh, Aaron is the man in Korean? No. 
I can't really even say that in English. Oh, you know, I man. can tell no lies. Get that out. Keep going. So, and of course, if you join us only for Ask the Amigos, which I think quite a few of you do based on our ask, or based on our uh, YouTube numbers, uh, we, we want to thank all those of you that subscribe to our Twitch channel solely for the Ask the Amigos content. So I'd yeah. like to read our, uh, our, our Twitch subscribers' names out. Uh, Night Rider 82 Hermes Oh, yeah. Daw Crabs MTG, RetoryWind.ca, Pints and Amiga, Gary Heather, Blue Train, Captain Chaos DK, Buck Owens, Uber Scuba Diver, Bruce Sayer, Jigglebox, Peeplo, Frodo NL, John Marshall 3, Eeyore 4077, ChronosNet, Rob O'Hara, Wide World of Retro, Great Algae, Macintosh Librarian, Still Adolescing, Bigfoot's Armpits, Christian Russell, <laughs> Negsol, Mitsuyama, Barkbit, Lamasta, and Retro Jerry. Thank you guys so much. Again, you know, we do ask the Amigos once a month. Uh, and Thank we God. Up, That's all we can handle. Yeah, we put it up on YouTube right after the right after the fact. But if you are a supporter, if I just read your name as our list of Twitch supporters, or if you support Amigos, ARG Presents, uh, Sprite Castle, or Pixel Guide In, you have access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord. Yeah, man. And you can post whatever question you like on the Ask the Amigos channel, and we will answer it in the next edition of the show. Yeah, that's exactly correct. Well done, bud. Thank you. Thank you. It's hard to read when you get double or even triple vision. Yeah. You remember that old bit? It's like, I I see three of them. Aim for the one in the middle, but... Mm. Is that from that same Badges movie? I don't know. I don't know where I heard that one. Okay. Well, anyway, we appreciate you sticking it with us here in the uh, sticking it with us in the in the wee hours, it's seven thirty three p.m. It's getting pretty late. Yeah, uh, here in, in in West Virginia, so we're gonna have to wrap things up. But we will see you next month for another edition of Ask the Amigos. Until then, <laughs> adios. adios.